0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com.
1: All right. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Thank you, Pastor Stefan. Really appreciate it. Let's uh, pray. We had all kinds of technical difficulties in the first one. So um, we're praying that we have none in this one. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to pray. Lord, thank you uh, for this opportunity thank you for what you've been doing thank you for the idea that was in your mind not just decades ago but in eternity past to raise up a a mission called church renewal international to affect renewal and revival of churches so that the church could um, be a tool to bring in a a uh, harvest in the last days And so we thank you for that. And uh, Lord, now as we uh, lean into the story and into your word, we're just asking you to help us to to, uh, focus together with what you have for us and to hear your heart in this matter. We're also asking you, Lord, that you would take care of some of those technical difficulties that we had in the first Um, service and we know that and we're trusting you with all that thank you for the way you worked it all out in the first service amazing and ask you to bless it now in Jesus name and everybody agreed by saying amen all right Um, every revival in history has been characterized by two practices or at least ignited by two practices and then continued and these two practices uh, are and the first one that we look at is repentance. There's a theological sense in which God is always present. He, he's present everywhere. He's present here today, right? He's in fact, he's present in in a sense. He is present in every single church, even bad churches. In a sense, but there's another sense in which he can be far removed. And people come into churches and they don't even sense his presence. Isaiah 59 teaches us that. Uh, but your iniquities have what? Separated. Separated you from God. Your sins have what? Hidden. Hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, how many of you are married? Okay. How many of you wish you weren't? No, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Have you, how many of you that raised your hand would be vulnerable enough to say I've had a strong Disagreement with my spouse at least once in the last 20 years. Raise your hands. (laughs) Okay, yeah, someone with two hands, (laughs) and that's very good, which means it's more than once in the last 20 years. (laughs) Anyway, isn't it true that you can, your spouse can be sitting three feet from you across the table And you're eating together and it's like nobody's home. Is it true? They're only three feet away but it's chilly in the room. Huh? And and have you ever then tried this guys? Guys, uh, I love you. That's the wrong thing to say at that time. Is that true? What do they do? They roll their eyes. Or they ignore you or they get up and walk out. Does that ever happen? Pastor Seven said yes. (laughs) Exactly. Present but not present. Do you see what I'm saying? And the same thing is with God. Our sins offend Him and He becomes distant. But if we confess our sins, uh, our relationship with him is restored it's not that he isn't here it's just that he's distant from us experientially we don't experience him and he's silent well, a lot of the reason that people cannot hear God's voice you know what one of the chief reasons is sin chief reason it's one of the reasons. Anyway, our our churches are full of sin, and that is that is not being confessed and repented of. Now we want, we're going to show we're going to show a video that we had a little bit of trouble with earlier, but I think it's going to work this time. All right, and it's a video from Africa that highlights this point. All right, so here we go.
0: This is Henry from Africa. I am <coughs> absolutely excited to present you. Uh, a few minutes of what God is doing here in Africa with Church Renewal International. We are experiencing such a remarkable expansion. We are expanding and growing in numbers. In Uganda alone, we have about 1,100 pastors that have signed up and going through our mentoring. It's been growing and growing. Uh, There is so much desire to join mentoring. Uh, We are not even limited of course internet is an issue and a big issue here, but the, the, the expansion it is going beyond where internet cannot reach. Right now some of our coaches, they commute, others go as far as 100 miles away from Kampala to go and establish Uh, more mentoring groups of pastors. So we are grateful. The expansion is happening in our bordering uh, countries. Uh, We have mentoring in Nairobi, Kenya, Burundi, Bujumbula. We do have mentoring in Tanzania, mentoring in Nigeria, Benin Republic. We have a few English speakers. That's a country of French, but we have a few English speakers that are part of the mentoring. We also have mentoring happening in Accra, Ghana, and of course, like Liberia. Recently, we had a wonderful move when we entered the nation of Zimbabwe, uh, Zambia, and Botswana. We had a wonderful roundtable. We had a wonderful set free, literate, about, uh, about 50 people attended in Zimbabwe, and also in Zambia, we had a wonderful attendance. But I wanted to speak uh, specifically about Botswana. When we went in Botswana and we st- began a meeting, first of all, we, we 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 had some resistance. The pastors there they were holding back. They were not ready to receive what we were offering. They were uh, concerned, and some of them I can tell when we, we we presented the reason for church renewal, why church renewal is necessary. We we touched areas that shook uh, the table a little bit, like why renewal is necessary because of the sin, because the church is unholy. When we touched some of those issues and we talked about prayerlessness in church, we had some resistance, I can tell you. We even had uh, people approaching us and say we should, we needed to go slow. But can I tell you, the Holy Spirit invaded the meeting. The Holy Spirit moved in in a such a way we had nothing to do about it. But all I can remember in the room, we, we, ha- we started having these bishops, pastors laying down on the floor. They prostrated down on the floor and we are sobbing and crying for help and say, God have mercy upon us. And I I remember one specific, uh, specific pastor, I think he's a bishop, he stood there and said, we have been putting a defensive wall. We need to break this wall and receive and repent, humble ourselves and receive what God is bringing to us. It was such a beautiful moment. The Holy Spirit invasion, that's how I can put it. And men, you could hear men groaning and sobbing and tears as they were crying out, Lord, have mercy upon us. That turned the hearts of men and women in the building. And many of them signed up for mentoring. Even the set free itself was such a great impact. You could tell the presence of God was strong. The, 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 the hearts that are broken were being healed and people were crying and repenting and confessing to one another. There was that level of vulnerability in the room. We, w- w- what we saw was God alone in in, involved in this. This had nothing to do with us. Of course, I know beautiful and wonderful saints uh, around the world, from Canada, you guys been praying for us. We are grateful and appreciate your prayers. Uh, so in actual, we ended up signing up about 61 pastors that have started the mentoring. So as I speak right now, there is a mentoring going on in Zimbabwe, Zambia, and also Botswana. We are excited for what God is doing, and we established connection to Namibia, uh, South Africa, and then uh, Malawi. That will be our next plan to go and take church renewal over there. So before I I sign out, I want you to keep us in prayers. In a few days from now, we are going to be flying into Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and also going to have a round table and set free. So church renewal is continuing. It's the fire that cannot be quenched. It keeps on burning and burning, and it keeps on eating uh, parts of Africa, the areas that are being uh, touched mostly the area of prayer, uh, the area of families, uh, so many testimonies we are receiving about families that are being restored. The tools that we are using in church renewal. Are, are, are helping most of the pastors here in Africa who never got a chance to have like discipleship material. They are using the way discipleship tools, and those discipleship tools are helping. Recently, we had a wonderful testimony of a Muslim lady that she gave her life to jesus and she came to us she had a visitation of jesus the story is long but it's such a beautiful story and her life was transformed and converted so we decided to disciple her with the way up so she's going through the way discipleship and even others are being helped through church renewal we thank you so much uh church renew international our partners our brothers in prayer and uh, support, uh, uh, support with all the support that you're rendering to us, we are we are grateful. So I want to say, God bless you. Merry Christmas. Akuna matata, which means no worry. Uh, that's African phrase. So we love you, and God bless you.
1: <laughs> Akuna matata. Oh yeah, that's wonderful. So you've seen uh, something there from Africa. You've seen something from the Ukraine, Canadian pastors in uh, Ukraine. And uh, we're going to get to Costa Rica uh, towards the end. Uh, Anyway, but Henry uh, just went uh, went to Ethiopia on Wednesday. He'll be finished tomorrow. So there'll be more stories coming out out of Ethiopia. If we deal with our sins, as you saw those pastors dealing with it, uh, God will invade our homes and our churches. Isn't that true? And many will come to the Lord uh, in that way. Here's a second practice. Uh, second revival practice is prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will what? And? 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 Turn from the wicked ways. So we just talked about uh, turning from the wicked ways, and here it says, and pray. Those are the two main practices for igniting renewal or revival in a church. In uh, 1984, uh, Fran and I planted a church in Woodstock with our four little kids and two adults. And um, uh, immediately, I started to lead a a few people to the lord as the holy spirit guided me and i gathered them together on a wednesday in their homes and we would uh, and i i found maybe six or so lessons for discipleship lessons i began to disciple them in that and it was it was a tremendous time tremendous time they were so eager they were so hungry i gave them brand new bibles they would you know i'd say turn to john and then they'd say what page is that on and i would tell them what page and they would turn to that page and and uh, uh, it, it was it was really wonderful they were all smokers uh, these uh, that i was uh, that i was discipling, and uh, they uh, so uh, when they would read a verse i'd say okay i want you to so and so i want you to read that verse and then they'd do, <sighs> And then you say, Pastor, what does that verse mean? And then, and then I'd try to explain it to them. And the whole evening would go like that. They were non—it was just blue smoke, all evening with a Bible study. But they were so hungry, and I'd go home, and uh, Fran would—you know—Fran uh, had to stay there because she was looking after the little ones. And and then she'd say, Well, how did it go? I said it was amazing. This is some of the most exciting ministry time I've had. Just just being with these young converts and seeing how hungry they were and and i said but i feel so sick i feel sick to my stomach from the blue smoke which is part of the reason i'm going to see jesus sooner than some of you um (laughs) the secondhand smoke but anyway um it it was amazing but you know then after a little while i mean i ran out of lessons i didn't know what else to do i didn't know what to teach him i didn't have anything else uh they kind of graduated into the church services and within a short while, I noticed that they were just like other Christians in so many churches. They just kind of cooled off. Some Christians say that's, that's because you mature and you're not so excited anymore. For Jesus, that's a sign of maturity. It isn't. It's a sign of immaturity. Amen? It's a sign of lukewarmness. And they became like everybody else. And I was so, I was so disillusioned with it. It, it, it upset me. And I, I, I prayed so many hours. I, I would go up and down. Walk up and down the streets of Woodstock. Down the railway tracks. Around Pittock Dam. Which is a little man-made lake there. And, uh, and I'd cry out to God. God. I, this is not what I left my career for. I want, I, I want these people. T- I want this church to be different. I, I want us to be renewed. And... Um, I, I would just keep uh, crying out to the Lord. And uh, uh, one day, as I was, uh, as I was praying and, ask, and calling out to the Lord for this, I was so desperate for this, he gave me a word. <laughs> we could, where does that word come from, right? And the word was revival. I went, revival, that's it. That is what we need. So I gathered three other Baptist pastors, I was, uh, we, our church was a Baptistic kind of church too, and gathered the other three in Woodstock, and we sat in a circle and I looked at the first one and I said, does your church need revival? And he went like this, I guess so. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, how, about, uh, how about you? Does your church need revival? Yeah, I guess so. And you? Yeah. I said, okay, mine too. So we're all agreed we need revival yeah I guess so and so I said okay so what how do we get revival now you have to imagine this four pastors sitting in a circle scratching their heads and trying to figure out how do you have revival nobody ever taught us that we never took that in Bible College you never took that in seminary how do you have revival we had no idea and so here we're sitting we're desperate. We need, we need revival, but we, we don't have a foggy clue. Pastors don't have a foggy clue how to have revival. But the Holy Spirit, he spoke a word into my mind. And as soon as, I, as, soon as the thought came, I knew, it was, I knew it was the right answer. And the word was satara twins. How many of you have ever heard of the Satera twins? Okay, some of you have. If you're coming from my generation or older, you will know about them. Younger, maybe not. But anyway, um, the Satera Twins were revivalists. And I had never been to any of their meetings, ever. But I had heard about them. They were well known. Great revivals came out of Saskatchewan, by the way, under the Satera Twins and Canadian uh, Revival Fellowship. Anyway, uh, uh, but my mother-in-law had been transformed at a meeting, because the Terra Twins, when we were gone, living in Ontario, they actually came to this area, and they had meetings here. And uh, my mother-in-law had severe emotional problems, she was in and out of an institution in Winkler, and uh, for several years, and she had physical problems that went along with it. And so, she didn't go to the actual meetings themselves, but when the meetings were over, she phoned in. And one of the prayer counselors uh, took her through some confession. And guess what they uncovered? Bitterness. She, had, she was bitter towards a particular individual for years. She had been bitter. And the mo- she, she got down on her knees... And she prayed, and she forgave that individual, and she told us for years before she passed on, she told us that when she got up from that prayer, she knew that she had been healed. Mentally and physically. And it's true, it happened. My mother-in-law changed. She became such a joyful, funny lady. Just a wonderful person. Uh, because of that, and anyway, I shared this with those pastors, and they said, that's what we need. We need, we need those, we agreed, we need those Soterra twins. So this, we called the Soterra twins, set up the meetings, they came in, they flew in, 14 nights in a row we had meetings. And uh, we we gathered in one particular church, we sent all our people to that church, we went to, and. And, uh, you know, one played guitar and kumbaya and the other one was teaching some things. And our people would go forward at the end and they would get down on their knees and they would, they would confess sins and repent and all of that. That went on for 14 nights straight. At the end of the 14 nights, it was a Saturday night, they, they went home. Sunday morning... I went to the YMCA, that's where, we get, that's where we met, our particular church was called Faithway Church. We met in the YMCA, and um, I, I was, uh, you know, I had my message all ready, and, and uh, so I was ready to pre- I get this thought, it's the Holy Spirit again. And the idea was, ask if there are any testimonies, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Testimonies. Does anybody have a testimony from the last two weeks? One person gets up and testifies. Another one gets up and testifies. A third. Tears coming down their cheeks. I'm going, this is amazing. The testimonies didn't stop. The worst reprobate in that church who caused me so much grief, even he went forward and got down on his knees. It's amazing. All at once I had this thought. I looked and I went, oh my goodness, it's quarter after 12 noon we gotta we gotta shut this thing down we're renting we're supposed to be out of here and so i didn't even have to preach my message i i got to keep it for the next week and uh, which is kind of neat it was a freebie then right uh, and the people left and when they left i thought to myself we had revival this is revival and I thought to myself, Ray Dirksen, you've got to be one of Canada's finest pastors. <laughs> Age 33. You know how to have revival. All you do is phone, the, phone up the Satara twins, you bring them in. 14 nights later, walleye, you got revival. You should write a book. Ray should write a book. Sell it. Travel all over the world. And sell this book. Just call the Sateras. Here's their phone number, you know. And um, except for one thing. Three months later, you couldn't tell that we had had revival. We were exactly where we had been. I was so disillusioned. I was so upset. Back to the streets, up and down, day after day, praying hours. Down the railway tracks, around Piddock Dam. Crying out to God, God, I don't get it. I mean, you give me some new converts, they spend enough time with me, and they cool down. I give them over here to the revivalists for 14 nights, and they're hot. They give them back to me, and within three months, they're dead again. I said, Lord, there seems to be a common denominator here. It's me. And the Lord said, I said, Lord, I don't get it. And he said, Ray, I know you don't get it. But I said, I want to. And the uh, Lord, uh, Lord then uh, said, I'm, uh, you know, this isn't about a quick fix. I'm going to set you on a journey. I'm going to teach you what renewal practices or principles are all about. And the reason for that is and and, and it was going to be a lengthy journey because I had so much to learn. But it, and it, but it wasn't what I had expected. But why does God do why did he do that? I'll tell you why. Because God isn't interested in a visitation you know so often I hear people uh, say and I've read books and people that they they get on planes and they travel to this place and then they because there's a there's been a visitation of God there and then they get on planes and they fly somewhere else and because there's a visitation there and then they fly somewhere else because now there's a visitation over there listen God isn't interested in visiting our churches he wants to come and live in our churches. He—it's not a visitation he wants; it's a habitation he wants. Amen. But for that, we have to meet the—we have to meet the conditions. And I didn't know what that, um, what that was. So anyway, fast forwarding, just because of sake of time. But uh, when I came to Southland in 1996, January of 1996, it. Lord uh, figured Southampton would be a great test case because it was one hundred fifty people attending at the time, and um, the church had just experienced uh, three church splits in five years, and I was the cause for the third one uh, because they hired me, (laughs) so so a bunch left because of that. I understand why, and um, and so Lord said this would be a good place uh, for, for. For you to learn about renewal and so I went to prayer again and I said Lord what's what do you want me to do and uh, within a few months he's he answered that prayer and he said I want you to start a prayer meeting a prayer meeting I said Lord uh, this church doesn't believe in prayer like like we don't even have a prayer meeting this is the wrong church for that And he said start a prayer meeting I said if I start a church uh, a prayer meeting Lord nobody will attend and then uh, he gave me an idea. He, he's got great ideas. Have you ever noticed that, huh? For raising your family, for leading a church, for leading your business? He's got great ideas. Anyway, he gave me an idea, cancel the adult Sunday school uh, program, for just the adult, and put the prayer meeting in there, because I knew if, if I had it in the evening, I'd be the only one showing up. My wife and I would be the only ones. And so that's what we did. And we canceled the adult Sunday school um, class. And then, you know, the people would drop off their kids. Now, we hadn't counted on the coffee shop, but um, so many of them did that. But 10, roughly 10, on average, stayed behind. And because we didn't know anything about prayer, I would teach for 40 minutes, and then we'd have five minutes for prayer. The unspiritual group would go three minutes, and the spiritual group could stretch it for the full five minutes. and then uh, we would pray. But after six months, I hated my own prayer meeting. I hated it. And I told the Lord that. In fact, it was the end of the programming year, June uh, 1997. I said, Lord, I went to prayer at midnight. My family was asleep. And uh, we, were living, we were still living in Cleefeld at the time. I went to prayer, and I said, Lord, I want to cancel the adult Sunday school uh, Uh, Or the uh, prayer meeting—we called it Operation Prayer in those days—pretty heady name for ten people. And uh, I said, I want to cancel it and just have adult Sunday school this fall again. And the Holy Spirit—he just—he just just filled my heart with such hope. I have no way to explain it. And it was like He said, He said, "Don't worry, the answer is around the corner. Don't quit." The answer is around the corner. So with that, with tremendous hope, I went back to sleep. In the morning, I woke up, and I looked around the corner. <laughs> but uh, there was no answer. Neither was there an answer the next day. But in the meantime, there was a new problem that I had developed. Uh, Fran uh, had come to me, and she, she could take a cup and just bend her head like this and fill it with that much clear fluid. And... Uh, And she was she was getting very tired. She was getting severe headaches, and so she went in to see the doctor. They tested the they sent the the fluid to the um, lab and discovered that it was cerebral spinal fluid, CSF. And so the doctors the surgeons were alarmed, and they said, "We've got to schedule a surgery immediately, or you're going to die." So they scheduled the surgery, and um, they cut her from ear to ear, pulled on. The skin over her face, and they went in. They could see the fluid coming, but they couldn't find the breach, so they sewed it up again or stapled her up, and, uh, but it was a complete failure. As soon as she was healed enough, they performed the second surgery. That one failed. Then they sent us to Philadelphia, and they found the breach at the brain stem towards the back. Uh, but within three months, it failed. And the fourth surgery failed, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth, and the ninth. They all failed. And I couldn't see any correlation. I thought, now I've got two problems. i got a church that doesn't pray. On the one hand, i got a wife uh, that is uh, very sick, and, um, and, and we wondered if she was going to die. And uh, now we got that problem, but I saw no correlation. But in the meantime, uh, I, I spent many months in ICU with her at her side. And um, whenever there would be a crisis, like for example, one time uh, we're, we're in the ICU and the pain was off the charts. And the, uh, the, the medical staff didn't know what to do. They were standing around, they're scratching their heads. Once oh, I to get this idea, this thought, because I would started a prayer a partners ministry by then. And uh, I thought, oh, I should phone them and ask for prayer. So I ran down. We didn't have cell phones in those days. It was pay phones. Ran down the hall to the pay phone. On the way, I asked the Lord to give me uh, the name of somebody. It turned out to be Lori Rempel, <laughs> your new elder's wife. And uh, she, uh, uh, I phoned to her. And on the first ring, she answered, and uh, I said, I have no time to explain, Lori, but here's the problem. Just get the other prayer partners praying, spread the word, get people praying, I have, to, I have to head back to the ICU. So I ran back to the ICU, and when I got there, Fran is laying there completely calm and still. And the medical staff is standing around, and they're scratching their heads. And I went, what just happened here? I asked for prayer. And look what happened. Next Christ would come. Huh, no, I didn't need a prompting. I just ran for the phone. Same thing happened. And the next time. And the next. I would pray and fast for healing. I would never get the answer to prayer for, for healing. But the crisis was constantly averted. And what was happening was. God was rooting prayer at Southland. Amen. That's what he was doing. You see renewal. Or revival, it can you can ignite it by meeting conditions, but sustaining it is actually a difficult work. Um, it's it's very difficult, and so um, and so it takes uh, a, a lot of pastors quit be, uh, because of that. Becoming a host of prayer is the greatest ministry challenge. By the way, uh, after that, <laughs> within four years, we ran our first prayer summit, and that was at Chrysler Gate. Were any of you there at that? Yeah, I see a few of these hands going up here. Um, uh, That's awesome. There were 150 people at that prayer summit. We couldn't believe it. We all held hands around the room. We could all hold hands. Do you remember that, Pat and Wendy? And uh, uh, it was incredible. And uh, the other prayer meetings started to grow. And eventually, uh, Southland grew with the prayer summits, the monthly prayer summits. And we averaged, uh, uh, you know, often it was 1,200 people at at a prayer summit. It was amazing. Becoming a house of prayer is the greatest ministry challenge. I always tell pastors, keeping it a house of prayer is the second greatest challenge. It's very difficult. And uh, that's why many pastors give up. So repentance and prayer ignite revival or renewal. But the Lord would teach me that uh, other practices that help sustain revival. Amen. It's not enough. That ignites it. It's the fuel that ignites it. But there are other things that have to come into play. Otherwise, it, it doesn't work. So over time, he taught, taught us eight renewal practices that sustain Revival, and you see some of them coming up there right now. And uh, so we talked a little bit about praying. You heard, you know, you you heard me referring to the hearing from God and that kind of stuff, learning about learning to know God, and uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, yes, the age renewal practice, by the way, are the same thing as your discipleship wheel. Southland's discipleship wheel. And by the way, that's, that was Pastor Stefan's idea several years ago. He came to me and he said he was working on this kind of thing. It's an amazing uh, wheel. And I have it in my materials. I stole it from him and, and he gets no royalties on that. Though he'll probably demand it. Uh, Anyway, uh, we're going to go to my list here now just so I can point out certain things. Uh, There are other things. So you see the repent of your sins in number four. You see the pray to God. Uh, Let's look at number five. It says grow your character and spiritual gifts. Do you think spiritual gifts are important for Uh, church to be able to advance in the kingdom against the spiritual darkness forces of darkness yes or no yeah absolutely critical the prophetic and the teaching gifts and and the healing gifts and uh, all these uh, you know even tongues and all these kinds of things they're very very critical for a church the problem is they're absolutely essential for a church However, if they're in the hands of immature people, they actually kill a church. They do the exact opposite. And in many churches, where they push spiritual gifts around the world, their churches are are blowing up, literally blowing up. That's because they're not working on growing their character. Poor character uh, if, you put, if you put a powerful gift in the hand of an immature person, you're going to kill the church. Amen? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, how many of you think, and uh, I'm going to illustrate, how many of you think an automobile is a wonderful gift? Raise your hand. Yeah. Sure beats coming on a horse this morning. Amen? Uh, or in an ox cart, you know, an open uh, thing, you know. It's comfortable, it's warm, you can, you can go fast, you can get there. It saves a lot of time, you can carry a lot, etc., 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 right? Tremendous gift. How many of you think it's a, it's a, it's a good gift in the hands of a two-year-old? <laughs> I saw a two-year-old raise their hand. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't ask the question. Well, this actually happened. We tested it out. My wife and I—well, it was my wife's fault. But we were in Woodstock, and uh, we had, you know, we had just gotten the car. The four little ones were in the back, and we forgot something. Both of us, as the car was running, both of us raced into the house. Do you see the problem? Because we had a two-year-old. I won't mention his name. We only had two boys. (laughs) Uh, We had a two-year-old, and he had watched how I put it in gear. And by the time we got out, which was just seconds later, the car was backing out of the driveway onto a busy street. And there was a two-year-old bouncing behind the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) Stefan. Still bounces around, doesn't he? (laughs) But you see, you you see the point. And so we have to grow people in their character. How about discipleship? Discipleship is a real important one. We could talk about all of these, but then we'd be here for a long time, right? Being discipled and discipling others is is very, very important. Um, In March 2020, this was uh, COVID had hit in Europe. Do you remember that? It hadn't come here yet. And they shut all the churches down in Europe, and we were watching that very closely. And the church leaders of Europe got together, Send International, put them together from Italy and Spain. And they admitted that they had never discipled their people to self-feed. And Miguel Castillo, church planning coordinator for M4, a missionary organization in Europe, admitted that they hadn't done that. Now, here's the problem with that. Because of deception and lack of self-feeding, Jesus warned that many are going to fall away from the faith in these last days. This is what he said. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and what? Deceive many people. So, we have to disciple people to self-feed. Here's the second one. Um, in that same Christianity Today article, and this was reported by Christianity Today, Angela Jolie said, we should disciple people right now in a way that if Zoom goes away, they will be equipped to lead without us. Ephesians 4.11 says that Christ gave the church what? Help me. Apostles. What's the second one? What's the third? evangelists and teachers to do the work of the ministry right is that what it says to equip who the saints to do the work of the ministry it's not the primary job of pastors to do the work of the ministry that's what most churches believe they do and that's what they practice uh, the saints are supposed to do that. So Christians need to be discipled to self-feed and equipped to minister. Now, when COVID came to North America, just, you know, a month or so later, remember we all had to shut down our churches. Remember that? All shut down the churches. Three days later, I was mentoring with all my groups, my particular groups. And when I was mentoring with the groups, They got, when they came onto the mentoring groups, they were excited. The pastors, big churches, little churches. They had all transitioned from the pulpit, because the pulpit platform was gone, right? The buildings are gone. Pulpit platform was gone. They had all transitioned to a media platform called Zoom, right? Everybody could do it. The big churches, little churches. They were so excited. It worked. So I let, I just let them be. I was very quiet. And they were so excited. Everybody's talking how they did it. And it all worked out. When the excitement died down, I, I said this to them. I said, pastors, good job, number one, for transitioning from the pulpit platform to the media platform. You did a good job. You kept the churches going. But I said, now I have a question for you. Here's my question. What happens to your people if you lose the media platform. And it was perfectly quiet. They knew it was a problem. Because you see, in many parts of the world, the church already can't use a media platform. Is that true? Yeah. And we're losing it in North America and in the West as well. So the question is, if we, if we're, if we lose the pulpit platform and we lose the media platform the church is going to go into major decline unless we have a discipleship platform is that true that's the only way Um, and that won't happen and, and a discipleship platform is where you are equipped and discipled and you have the materials, you have the tools, you've been discipled, you get it, you know how to pass it on. And you can do it with one person. There isn't one person in this room that can't do it with one other person. Would you agree? Go ahead, say amen. amen. <laughs> I know, you don't want to say amen because that means you've got to do it. <laughs> no. But, but just... Uh, just thinking it through, isn't that true? A- anybody can do that if you got a tool. If you got material and a tool, anybody can do it. With one, some can do it with a big group or a little group, whatever. And um, and but for that, we need materials, tools, and a system. So when I pastored at at, at, at Southland, Holy Spirit guided me to begin writing. So the first things we wrote was set free and then the hearing God and then the empower ministers retreat and stuff. And then it just continued. And so when I transitioned to full time with church renewal, I just kept writing. People can't pre- reproduce and disciple others if they don't have a discipleship tool and if they have never been discipled. But if, they've, if they have a tool and have been discipled, anybody can do it. Anybody. You don't have to be a a great teacher or communicator. You don't have to be an extrovert for that. True? And so if we disciple them, the church will thrive even if they shut down our buildings and take away the pulpit platform and the media platforms. Amen? But to do that, we have to begin now. So in 2007, the Holy Spirit prompted me to gather these practices together and organize them into what we call the eight renewal practices. These are the ancient paths Jeremiah talked about. He said, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. And as we began to implement all these different things that you saw there before, and we did all of those things. As we began to implement them, the church just grew in renewal. You never reach renewal. Our church just began to grow in renewal. And it continued uh, continued, uh, that way. Uh, We grew for 22 years in a row to an average attendance of 4,500. We built a huge ministry in Africa. Ran a camp for 1,500 children and teens and a school of ministers. And then launched church renewal. A church did that. Together, Because we were being renewed by the Lord. Because we were meeting the conditions. And he was, and he was uh, coming near. He was drawing near to us. And people wanted to be part of it. This was the renewal journey God promised back in our church plant in Woodstock. And then it began to spread. Do you, I want to ask you a question here, church. Do you think that God just cares about Southland? I mean, does he care about Southland? Oh yeah, he loves Southland very much. He has a special call on this church. This church has a special call, but also has greater responsibility because of the call. But God doesn't just care about Southland. Southland is one small part in the big church, the worldwide church. Isn't that true? And uh, how selfish it would be if we kept what he has shown us to ourselves? Amen? To whom much is given, what? Much will be required. Yes. So in 2004, we met with a woman in Toronto. And she prophesied. We were still at Chrysler Gate location. We weren't even in the first phase of four phases here. And she we didn't want to meet with her, but we met with her <laughs> um, Fran and I in the worst way did not want to meet with her, but that's another story Anyway, we met with her and within moments she started to tell us things about ourselves that she couldn't have possibly known And then she prophesied and she said one day You're going to travel internationally much internationally and you're going to train pastors train pastors I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> that was in 2004. And then 2008, John Berrigan uh, called me on December the 4th and urged me to start a ministry to the Canadian church. And um, But now, in November, uh, by November 12th, we started, 2012, we started, we started with two pastors, as you know, to renew their churches. And today, Church Renewal International mentors 2,600 pastors in over 60 countries. And we've written over 2,000 pages to date for the pastors. There are, um, and, and do you know something? There are 2 to 3 million pastors in the world. That's what they estimated at. Only 5% of them have any kind of training whatsoever. Do you know that when we were in Costa Rica now, most of the pastors of networks that we met were dentists, doctors, and lawyers (laughs) that had left their professions to take on church, and they came to me and said, we have no training. You just heard Henry talk about the same, same thing. That is true around the world. It's a tremendous need to, um, to, to give training. It took me 30 years to figure some of this stuff out. We don't have 30 years, amen? Sometimes people say, just give them Bibles. That's all they need. No, if Bibles was all that we needed, Jesus would have just given each of his apostles a new Bible and left. But what did he do with them? He discipled them. He mentored them. And and we must do the same. In fact, the Great Commission says the same thing. Uh, Go into all the world and make what? Didn't say make converts. It said make disciples. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Amen? And uh, and then... um, Uh, much of the time that Jesus and the apostles spent was spent fighting false doctrines. In fact, did you know that most of the New Testament, have you ever noticed much of the New Testament that's written, especially especially Paul's epistles, are written to counter false teachings? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. So much for just give them a Bible and they'll be fine. No. There's tremendous False teachings out there take a look at this uh, that I'm just going to throw up and We don't have much time, so I'm not going to spend any time there, but uh, let's go to that next slide there Yeah, lo- look at this uh, I've actually got in my writings uh, 50 pages on this and I think 16 false teachings in evangelicalism today, but here's just a few discard the Old Testament or 43% say Jesus is, uh, is a good moral teacher, but not God. 57% say people are good by nature. In other words, they're not sinners. Many pastors don't believe in hell anymore. They're teaching annihilationism or universalism. In, in the end, everybody gets saved. Uh, 58% believe in pluralism. There's many ways to God. Any religion will get you to God. These percentages are from surveys done on evangelicals in the U.S. 22% believe that gender identity is a choice, and, and others now, many, especially coming out of Britain, are teaching, many scholars and are teaching that church, the church has replaced Israel, and it opens the door to anti-Semitism. And I could go on and on and on. There's a reason why we have to thoroughly mentor them and disciple them. Amen? Otherwise, we lose, the, we lose it all. You see, you can't just ignite revival. You have to sustain it. And there's a tremendous amount of work. And um, so, Costa Rica, and then we're, we're done. I hope you're enjoying yourself. Anyway, Coast, uh, we just got back from Costa Rica, and uh, that's San Jose, Costa Rica. That's beautiful. next Yes, that's some beautiful. Just gets you in the mood for Costa Rica here. We spoke in, in five cities, and in one city, Gracia, a couple came to us, and with her husband standing there, she, she introduced herself, and she said, My husband has changed so dramatically that I asked him how I can get into mentoring. And so she got mentoring. We were in three different cities where three different women came to us and told us the exact same thing. Is that amazing? Um, I think it's amazing. And uh, here's a story of Pastor, yeah, that's this one right here. Okay, that's Pastor Antonio Porras on the left. It's his wife Patricia, and then there is his, uh, their daughter. She's about 40. Uh, Rocio, uh, Ro- yeah, Rosiel. And he is a dentist, and his two older sons are doctors, and then the third one is a pharmacist, and his daughter here is a dentist and has a dental practice. So she is a bunch of dentists. He, was a, 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 he came to the Lord later, and uh, the Lord called him into ministry, and he was a harsh, a harsh kind of a pastor, and turned his kids away from God and the church. And they, walked, they all walked away, including the daughter, Rosil. And uh, anyway, a little over three years ago, Pastor Jaime, who drove us around, you saw a photo of him there before probably, but he was a wonderful pastor. He encouraged Pastor Antonio to get into mentor, mentoring. And uh, so Pastor Antonio finally uh, got into mentoring. He changed so dramatically That Rozeal came back to Jesus. She came back to the Lord, came back to the church, reconciled with her parents, and now they're praying for the sons. And uh, such life transformation and change. We heard this kind of stuff wherever we were going. In fact, at one point, they, they were testifying to all of us. Eddie was there as well, and they were testifying. She said, I hated my father. Set it right in front of him. And he, told, he had already told me that in the vehicle. And uh, now they're, uh, they're doing that. Uh, leaders traveled from Minnesota to Nicaragua. This one pastor from Minnesota to Nicaragua. Picked up her father. She's a pastor. She picked up her father who was a pastor. They drove across the border that morning. Drove several hours to get to Upala in the northwest corner of Costa Rica. Where uh, just so they could meet meet us and hear us uh, over there. And there were others that came, f- flew in from Mexico, flew in from Panama, and drove in from the different places and uh, did that. I'll tell you one last story, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Pastor uh, Ronaldo Vargas, th- this is him. He's the, this is at the hotel. He was hearing of the impact of these five meetings, and he was being told what was happening, and finally he called us and said, we wanna, I want to meet with you and so we're meeting in a hotel here and uh, there's some testing going on here. There's a little bit of uh, stuff going on here and uh, all at once the ice broke, the Holy Spirit broke through and guess what he said? I'm the head of of the 4,000 evangelical churches here in Costa Rica and he said, I have counterparts in all the Latin American countries and we're part of an association called uh, Latin uh, Latin Evangelical Alliance. I think that's what it's called. A-E-L, but different, different order of letters. Anyway, he said, he looked at me and he said, wouldn't you like to meet the other leaders of all the evangelical churches through Latin America? And Eddie and I just went, yes. <laughs> we would. And so he said, when you're ready, uh, you let us know, and that's... Uh, That's what we're going to do. Listen, as you saw, this is the greatest investment in pastors that you can make. I'm fully convinced of it. If you renew a pastor, he or she will renew an average of 150 people. We've done our calculations on that. They will bring other pastors into church renewal. And often they end up mentoring people that we don't, uh, their networks, and we don't even know it. The cost of this, we've done some cost analysis, it's about $45 a month to to disciple or mentor and and equip and give the materials to the pastors. That's less than one tuni per day. And uh, of course that cost is going down as the number is increasing. Think about it, if we mentor pastors to disciple their people and other pastors, then when tribulation comes, and it is certainly coming, and we are cut off, the church will keep on going. Your investments of prayers and finances will keep paying off. We're praying for tens of thousands of pastors to join this move of the Holy Spirit, this revival or renewal movement of Spirit worldwide. And you are a key part of this. Thank you for partnering with us in this. It's been a wonderful journey, hasn't it? Hasn't God done great things? Akuna Matata. (laughs) Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless you.